0: Um, This morning we're going to look at Psalm 145, Psalm 145, so you've got your Bibles, great to get them open or switch them on. It'll also come up on the screen at some point as well. A couple of weeks ago we started um, looking at the Psalms throughout the summer, um, which had been great. Um, James led us off a couple of weeks ago, um, and then uh, Fraser um, continued that last week. And this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 145. What has really captured my heart um, over the last um, few months has been this idea of the incomparable greatness of God. The incomparable greatness of God. And my prayer this morning is that something of that will grasp and capture our minds, our hearts, our souls, our spirits to the core this morning. Is that okay? Anytime we open up God's word, anytime God's word is spoken, what we should expect is that explosion of life and God's spirit speaking directly into our core and this morning is no different the incomparable greatness of god and when we look at psalm 145 we're only going to look at verses one to three um, this morning and then next week we're going to look at a few verses uh, after that so psalm 145 will be in it for the next couple of sundays a few things about the psalms just to make sure we're all on the same page um as we move forward when we come to look at the psalms the psalms Um, are an amazing collection of 150 individual poems, songs um, that God's people throughout the ages have been declaring, have been proclaiming, have been using in private prayer um, that made its way into our modern hymns and worship and praise songs. You'll see a lot of the basis for that there. Um, As Fraser mentioned last week, there's a psalm for every moment, every circumstance in life. The psalms are where we go to as God's people, aren't we? When we're clinging on to God in desperate times, we go to the psalms to receive God's truth and his hope. Um, it's definitely worth noting when we're looking at these verses today in Psalm 145 that, that the psalms are full of breathtaking imagery, um, symbolism, metaphors to be able to communicate something of God's greatness from different angles, from different perspectives. It's like the uh, authors are using every um, form of like vocabulary that they can possibly use to articulate the greatness of God, and especially in this um, here. We also see the, the entire biblical narrative retold through poetry through songs in the Psalms. So it's worth noting when you're studying and reading the Psalms this summer as we journey through together, you can see the major themes of scripture retold through the Psalms of creation, of 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 the fall, of redemption, of God's grace, of, of new creation, the hope for the future. You'll see all that there. So here and now, as God's church, as followers of Jesus this morning, we can... Look at the Psalms, we can be confident that God is speaking into our hearts and into our present circumstances. So this morning and throughout the summer as we look at Psalms, expect God to speak into your heart, both personally when you're looking at it in your own time and corporately here on Sundays. And this morning, Psalm 145 is primarily what you would call a praise psalm. So it's relating to the the greatness of God and the psalmist is declaring how great God is. You'll see lots of different categories that the psalms would come under. Um, James spoke from 137, James, yeah? He spoke from 137, just to make sure I got that one correct. Um, Which is primarily a song of lament um, where the psalmist is expressing his anguish. And I guess confusion in looking for God's truth to speak. Psalms of thanksgiving, which primarily relate to God's goodness, to who he is. Psalms of praise, which we'll look at this morning. Songs of confidence, which is what Psalm 191 is, which Fraser touched on last week. When you're looking for confidence in who God is, and who you are in him, turn to the Psalms. And this morning, when we look at Psalm 145, if we have it together, looking at the first three verses, and this is a psalm of David, you'll see that in, in the title in your Bible. And that, um, uh, when it says a psalm of praise, if someone has that we can a footnote on their Bible, what that word is, the, the, the Hebrew word for praise um, specifically is a word called Tehillah, which basically just means a song of praise. So this psalm is titled. A song of praise. It's either that like spontaneous moment in worship where we cannot help but to lift up our voices. That heart song cries out praise. And it says, I will exalt you, my God and my King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise his greatness no one can fathom in essence what I feel God wants to communicate to us over the next couple of weeks is um, central to our private and corporate praise of God a few things are important firstly central to our praise of God it's grasping been able to have the capacity somehow in our hearts and our minds and our souls and spirit. Our capacity to be able to testify and bear witness to who God is. So central to our praise to God is our ability to be able to grasp and have that revelation of who he is. The incomparable greatness of God. And then next week we're going to look a bit um, at um, central to our praise of God. Is being able to grasp what God has done. His activity, his deeds, um, his, his uh, activity throughout history that you see in the person of Jesus and the opponent of the Holy Spirit, et cetera, et cetera And also his promises, that what he promises to us. Because you see, if our hearts and our minds and our souls are captivated by who God is, by what he's done, and by what he's going to do, then our praise and our worship and our thanksgiving will overflow out of our mouths, out of our hands, out of our feet, and out of our lives. Yeah, out of our lives. Um, And the author here in in Psalms is basically using every single metaphor he can to basically say, look, God's greatness is so unsearchable, is so incomprehensible that, you know, not, not the, the words in the page can't do that, that justice. It ends with, in verse 3, no one can fathom. And we need a constant, it's, my, it's a conviction that I have um, throughout personal experience, throughout reading of scripture, is that we need a fresh, constantly the fresh revelation of who he is. It's very easy for our praise and our worship to dry up very easy. I don't know if you notice that for your own life, but it's easy for both our personal and our corporate praise times, our corporate sun worship times, our own personal daily lives for that to be dry. And often it's because we lose sight of God's greatness. We lose sight of who he is. It's when we fail to explore the reality and the fullness of God. And maybe for some, and I say this lovingly, pastorally, maybe for some, our viewpoint of God is limited. Maybe our viewpoint of God is small and weak that we focus on maybe just one aspect of who God is and we fail to see the reality and grasp the fullness of who he is for me normally I know when that happens it's when subconsciously or consciously I find myself saying or thinking oh I can't think of a God like that God to me is this okay and basically what you're doing with that is you're putting we are putting God in in a box aren't we we're putting God in a box. Actually, what we're doing there is we're, we're, we're almost making up a God in our own image. We're making up a God in our own image. It's subtle, but it's so profound and it's so easy to do. Also, another way of another way looking at it, if, if we read um, the New Testament scriptures, read about Jesus, often what we can do is we can pick and choose the bits that we like about Jesus, Yeah. I don't know about you, but that's quite easy to do. And we think, "Oh, I like the uh, social action Jesus, or the Jesus that that, that loves the poor." But ah, that part of Jesus, I don't quite. That's actually making up a God in our own image, what we want God to be like, rather than who He reveals Himself to be primarily in Scripture and in the person of Jesus. And Tim Hughes, who's a worship leader, pastor, author, says this. He says, we dumb him down, talking about God, we dumb him down to an earthly level, failing to see that he is beyond our human understanding. It's important to remember that God is not made in our image. On the contrary, we are made in his. We dumb God down to an earthly level. We make up a God in our image, subtle, but yet so profound. Rather, our approach to God should be we should come humbly before him. We should come humbly before God to seek him, to explore who he is, his beauty, his majesty. God is God. We are not, he is the uncreated one, the self-existent one. The eternal one. He is creator. We are creature. For want of a better way of putting it. God is the incomparable great one. So if we come humbly to explore the infinite, uncreated, eternal, self-existent creator of all things. We find perspective. Yeah, we find perspective. That he is eternal. He is self-existent. There's no one keeping God propped up, going. Something can't come out of nothing. That's the premise that we hold as believers, that he is eternal, he's self-existent. He is the creator of all things. When we come to God like that, We don't only find perspective, but we come to him in awe and in wonder. It causes an awe and wonder in our very souls that calls the psalmist to proclaim what he proclaims, that great is the Lord, most worthy of praise has greatness. No one can fathom. And that core idea is central to our praise of God. So if we find our personal or corporate Praise is drying up. It's to do with the fact that our view of God is weak, is small in our hearts. And A.W. Tozer, who is a great theologian, author, pastor, um, his famous, famous quote, you'll see it retweeted and shared a lot on social media, um, but it is very profound. He says, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And it's maybe not so famous quote, but he does go on to say this. He says, for this reason, the gravest question before the church, which is you and me as God's people, is always about God himself. The most important fact about any person is not what he or she at any given time may say or do, but what in their deep heart they conceive God to be like. He is the incomparable great God. And in Psalm 145, the psalmist declares his praise to God. He says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. And every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Here in verse one, the psalmist declares, my God and my king. That is the psalmist's view of God. What comes to the psalmist's mind when he thinks about God? This is it, my God and my king. He's declaring the kingship and sovereignty of God. He is saying that God is on the throne. Nothing else comes close to his authority. There is no other authority that can compare to him. He is sovereign over all. When the psalmist thinks about God, that's the thing that comes to his heart and comes to his mind. And the the, the psalmist responds in three um, distinct, but complimentary ways that I think is important for us to call out this morning. When he's offering his praise to God the king, this is the three distinct ways he says in verse one and two. The first thing he declares is, I will exalt, and this means to lift high, to lift up to the highest place, i.e. there's no other authority but God. He is the highest, and that's why in corporate worship, sometimes what we find ourselves doing is lifting our hands up as as high as they can go that that is us that's a symbol that is us um, doing what we can with our bodies to say god you are on the throne you're the highest so if you're new to church and you're thinking why is everyone lifting up up their hands like that i don't know why i'm standing on my toes it's because i'm small (laughs) but that that's not it's not about us reaching up to heaven that that's Obviously, if that's me, then I'm I'm snookered, aren't I? But (laughs) what we're doing is we're trying to muster everything we can. They say, God, I exalt you. You are on the throne. There is no other one but you. And that's why praise changes something. That's why you can feel it shift in the atmosphere even, can't you? In your very soul. And, And in a room, you can see that shift. When as God's people, we individually and corporately declare God, you are king. There is no other authority but you. You are the highest. You seat, You are seated on the throne. And then the second half of verse two, um, and uh, the second half of verse one, sorry, in the first part of verse two, um, the psalmist um the, declares his praise to God in this week It says I praise your name for never and ever and in verse 2 every day I will praise you that word praise is the same um, uh, Hebrew word and it's the Hebrew word that's called barak okay? now just uh, quickly so everyone's on the same page, in the Old Testament um, there is seven um, primary ways that the word praise has been translated into English Okay. so if you see your Old Testament scriptures in the Psalms um, the word praise. It's worth looking up the original word. It's easy to do. You don't need to be a Bible scholar or a Bible teacher to do it. Just need to either Google it or get a bit a study Bible, um, and you'll, you'll see there. So it's not hard to do, um, but it's profound to do, um, because the, these seven um, Hebrew words they have distinctions um, that actually the psalms are communicating something different and fresh with what they're saying. And this word Barak, in some um, English translations. It's translated the word bless um, in the ESV translation. If you use that, you'll see it not praise, but bless. What that word barak means, it means literally to kneel or to bow. So I will barak your name forever and ever. And every day I will barak you. Every day I will kneel and bow before you. Again, that connotation of God is on the throne. We are not, he is king, we're bowing. To him and that's why you'll find sometimes in corporate worship or in your own private worship you'll think what's happening to me why do I feel to get as low as I can that's because you're grasping something of who God is and you begin to find yourself lower and lower and saying God you're king you're on the throne I bow before you praise changes everything when we have that revelation of who God is the word also implies um, something quite significant and scholars of the ancient Hebrew um, language say that they believe that in the original context the term did not simply mean bowing down but it carried the connotation of keeping low but keeping your eyes fixed on the king. And if you think about that, how that works in our daily lives and how that works in a private and corporate worship, we're living our lives bowing low, keeping our eyes fixed in Jesus. You know, it's so important in these corporate gatherings that everything we take into account, eh? We, we love coming together. We love um, getting the right atmosphere. We, we love being able to have, have nice seats, have some nice coffee or tea. Come in here. Nice music. All these things are so important. And I love that. I've worked hard obviously over the last five and a bit years. Since I've been here. And working with the worship team. and the sending me All that's so vital. It's so important. But the reality is. If we come to these gathered moments. Oh with our hearts. Transfixed on Jesus as the king. We don't need to be physically bowing off to the whole time. But that can happen if we feel. To to What's happening in our heart to then um, do that as an example with our bodies, same as we're seeing with our hands. That changes everything. Yeah, things then don't become important. Whether we like that song or not, or do you know what I mean? All these things are just irrelevant, aren't they? In the grand scheme of our hearts. So if we find ourselves, and I'm speaking to myself first here, if we find ourselves ever in that mode, in our in our private times or corporate times, then Ask yourself what, in my mind, what in my my gravest heart and soul, the deepest part of my being, what is my conception of God? And remember that Hebrew word Barak, bowing low, fixing her eyes on the King. Okay, the the last distinction he uses here um, is the second half of verse two, where he, where he says in in our English um, translation, and extol your name forever and ever. That that word there is also can translated praise in some. English versions it's, it's the Hebrew word halal which is where we get is a root um, meaning for the English word hallelujah okay so if you see many songs that we do we sing on Sundays um, that has hallelujah in it um, yeah I can't remember one now actually but there is there is loads sure there is, there is. and, and that, that, that that's expressing something unique as well This word means to boast, to rave, to shine. It also means to be foolish in our praise to God. Not foolish for the sake of being foolish, but in the sense that King David in 2 Samuel, when he was undignified before the Lord and he began to dance, he spun round and began to sing and began to shout. In Psalm 149, let him praise or let him halal His name with dancing and make music before the Lord. You see, if our perception of God is weak and small, then we will be passive and we will be apathetic in our praise to him and in our life, worship to him and how we live that out in our daily lives. But if our viewpoint of God is one of his greatness and his kingship, then nothing will be able to hold us back. If you feel your feet wanting to dance, either on your own, in your house when no one's looking, although that kind of contradicts what I'm saying, but you know what I mean? Or on a Sunday when maybe everyone's looking, then you go for it. Because he's worthy of that. And that doesn't mean you need to not be who you are. And some are are more naturally extroverted and some are more naturally. That's not the point in all of this here. So there's no, you know, no one needs to be shouting from the rooftops. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is there's a profound difference that happens in our hearts when we start to halal the Lord, when we start to praise him foolishly. Yeah. I could go into all the Hebrew words of praise because I love them, but we've not got time to do it. Another one is Taudah, which is the shout of praise where we raise our voices and shout to God because he's worthy of our praise. See, when we get a glimpse of this kingship, of God's nature, of his deeds, of his attributes, we celebrate him like never before. We celebrate him like never before. He is incomparable. He is our great God. Okay, the last verse we're going to look at is verse three. Great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. His greatness, no one can fathom. And in Sam, um, sorry, Isaiah forty. If anyone um, is looking on in their Bibles, be great. If we could turn to that. Isaiah forty, verse twelve to three can also see it on the screen as well. Isaiah 40, 12 to 3. We see 12 to 13, 12 to 3. That wouldn't make sense. 12 to 13. (laughs) We see here a great example that leads us to further comprehend the greatness of God. Okay, who has measured... The waters in the hollow of his hand. Or with the bread of his hand marked off the heavens. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales. And hills in a balance. For who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? Or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? Or instruct the Lord as his counsellor. What am I to say in this section here? Isn't necessarily to convict us, although, because that's the Holy Spirit's job, obviously. But what it is, it's to really, in one sense, burst our bubbles of who God is. Yeah. And command us to be in awe and wonder of him. So almost like put put ourselves in our place for a moment, if, that, if that's okay, and therefore put God in his rightful place. Often we can become the center of the universe, can't we? If we can be honest, if we think about our own hearts and minds for a wee minute, we can think we are the center of everything. This year proclaims that that is God, and that should relieve us. We talked about anxiety this morning. That concept of God, relieves every anxiety. Because we don't need to be in control, because he is. Yeah, that relieves every fear, apprehension, when we have this view of the sovereignty and kingship of God. He is in control, so therefore we don't need to be. Okay, so let's think about this for a brief moment. In Isaiah, it says, Isaiah says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And again, this is metaphorical, this is symbolism, this is Isaiah painting a picture of of his view of God, and he's he's, he's trying to find the vocabulary and the words metaphorically to try and um, articulate the greatness of God. In the oceans, contain around 28 million cubic miles of water. And Isaiah pictures God holding them in the hollow of his hand. That is Isaiah's view of the greatness of God. He then says, or with his breath of his hand, has marked off the heavens. God is big enough to mark off the heavens and we know the greatest scientific minds and greatest scientific research can only try and catch a glimpse of the cosmos and the universe that God is big enough that he marks them off with his hands. There's so many stars that if we were to count the ones in our galaxy alone at the rate of three every second, 24 hours a day, It would take you a millennium to count the stars in our galaxy alone. And we've seen a poignant reminder this week, haven't we, in the media, when you've seen the first NASA images from the James Webb telescope coming back, which literally blows our minds when we think about God marking off the heavens. God created all things. And that view of God causes us to proclaim his greatness, causes us to be put in our place, and causes us to bless him, to barak him, to halal him, to praise his name. Revelation 4 verse 11. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive all glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. The fact that God is creator should make us stand in awe. And Nicky Gumbel, who some might know from the Alpha Course, um, pastor um, of HDB in London, he says, on August the 20th, 1977, Voyager 2, the inner planetary probe launched to observe and transmit the Earth data, to the outer planetary system, it set off from the Earth, travelling faster than the speed of a bullet, 90,000 miles per hour. On 20th of August, 1989, it reached planet Neptune, 2,700 million miles from the Earth. Voyager 2 then left the solar system. It will not come, come, one, come within one light year of any star for 950, 100,000 years. In our galaxy, there are 100,000 million stars like our sun. Our galaxy is one of 100,000 million galaxies. In a throwaway line in Genesis, the writer tells us that he also made the stars. Such as his <laughs> power. He also made the stars, such as the power and magnitude of the God that we worship. He created all things. So, we have a God who is so great that the biggest things that we know about the earth, the mountains, the oceans, the skies are small enough to fit in the hollow of his hands and to be weighed by his balances. So it's very obvious that Isaiah states who can fathom the spirit of God or dare instruct him. In the same way, the psalmist in 145 says, great is the Lord, most worthy of praise, His greatness no one can fathom. And Andrew Wilson, who's a theologian, pastor from London he says this about Isaiah 40 he says we need a revelation of the greatness of this God in a world where there are no shortages of people lining up to advise God on how to do his job reflection of the great God described in Isaiah will burst our bubbles and bring us to our knees if we have a picture of God's greatness in our souls we will not argue with him, nor apologize for him, but we will wonder at him and worship Him, for how great is our God. Amen. How great is our God. And, and in Romans 11:33, Paul has the same revelation. When he, and it's like a song of praise, a doxology, a song of praise that he lifts up to God. And, and he's written, if you study Romans, he's written intensely about God's sovereign plan through Israel, through, through Jesus, through his church, through the center of his spirit. And, and at the end of it, he declares, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and untraceable his ways. And when he comprehends what God has done, his activities, his deeds, and next Sunday we'll focus, focus on that. He says, God, how unsearchable are your judgments and untraceable your ways. When we have a revelation of the greatness of God, rather than dumbing them down to our own earthly level, it bursts our bubbles. We find perspective. We come in awe and wonder and worship. And our only response is to get as low as possible and fix our eyes on the king. So this morning, I pray as we've been looking at this scripture, that our souls and our spirits and our minds are stirred to seek and humble ourselves before The greatness of God is incomparable greatness. I hope our hearts are stirred in our corporate and our private praise times to extol him, to lift him up to the highest place, to bow before him. And this week, as we're looking at this psalm, let these words be in our hearts. I will extol you, my God, my King. I'll praise your name forever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever. For great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. And back to the A.W. Tozer question, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our mind this morning when we think about God? the most important thing about us. What picture do we have in our souls of the incomparable greatness? of god so let's continue church to lean into him to humbly seek him to worship and praise his incomparable greatness as we keep our eyes fixed on god our king